I think I got it, bud. So there we go. If you've been coming each week of this series just waiting for the saga to unfold and to finish, that was it. That was the end of the saga. You're free to go now if that's all, if that's all you wanted. Honestly, though, I'm not really sure what happened. Earlier this week it happened. It happened a little bit right there, too, I'm ashamed to admit. But like, I'm watching that bumper video, and, and right, like right when that woman kind of rudely pushes her way to the front of, to get to the window, right, and the music picks up, and I, I kind of got chills and like this emotive feeling happen and so uh, tomorrow I'll be making an appointment to get my estrogen levels checked because I just got to figure out like what's going on like that's not that's not normal for me really though I, I think I think the reason I, I do get feelings around Christmas is because I I actually truly love Christmas I, I really do I'm, I'm not making that up and I I love Christmas I think it's because because my family isn't complicated at least right now, they're not complicated. If you're older than I am, if you've got older kids, you're like, hey, B, it's coming for you, right? Like, but, but right now, it's, it's not complicated at all. Even my extended family, my mom and my dad and my brother and sister-in-law and my nieces, there's just zero drama in my family. And, and that could possibly be a byproduct of the fact that we haven't spent Christmas together as a family in like 16 years. And we, we haven't even really spent a lot of time together as an entire family in over seven years or so. But seriously, there's just no drama in my family. It's it's complicated, like my, my job requires me to be here, like I have to be here at Christmas, and, 
they all live in California. My, my house isn't big enough to host everybody when they come here. And so that's, that's why we don't get together. At least those are the excuses that I'd give. And it, it may be different for you. In fact, I know it's actually different for a lot of you because I've, I've heard the stories. You haven't spent Christmas all together as a family in at least as many years as I have. And you guys live in the same state. You, you might even live in the same city or <laughs> you might live down the street from your family. Maybe for you, it's the, it's the argument you had with your brother a few years ago. And of course, everything's forgiven and water under the bridge, right? At least that's what you say. But when you get in the room, like, like it just isn't the same. Like there's, the connection just isn't there. It just feels weird. It's not right. Or, or, or for you, it could be your, your sister, she's chosen to live a lifestyle that you don't agree with. And, and you can't figure out for the life of you why your parents, who didn't raise her to be that way, yet they, they seem okay with it and, and they, they accept her in any way. And you can't be in the room and pretend like it's not a big deal to you. You just can't do it. And so you stay distant. And so for you, it's not distance, like physical distance that keeps you apart. It's not work requirements for you. And and if I asked you, like, one-on-one in conversation, you'd be like, ah, it's just complicated. When it's really not all that complicated. It's, it's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable. Now, now, you're uncomfortable, whatever it is for you. It might be different than the examples I gave. Obviously, I can't, I can't give all the examples, but let me ask you. Like, do you have complicated and uncomfortable going on in your family right now? Do you have a set list of excuses that you pull from every time you want to try and avoid the uncomfortable every single year? See, for many of us as Christians, it's uncomfortable because Christmas reminds us that Christmas, there's just this reminder that of problems that we can't solve. Problems we can't solve. I mean, you've been working on these problems forever. You've been working on it for 10, 15, 20 years, and it, and it just doesn't ever seem to get any better. And, and, and it's a reminder that there's people that you can't control. There's people in your life that no matter what you do, no matter how hard you try to get them to modify and change their behavior, they, they just can't seem to keep it together for one simple meal with the family. And honestly, there's expectations. <laughs> there's, there's so many expectations that can't be met. And this is a really tough one for all of us because the closer we get to that meal, the closer we get to that time with family, to open presents, the, the more you feel the weight of it, the weight of those expectations. And you know no matter what you do, right? No matter what guy you bring over, uh, no, no matter w- how your kids behave, no matter what you wear, no matter what presents you bring, yeah, you just feel like everything you do is being evaluated and judged. And the, the expectations, they're certainly unspoken because nobody would ever actually, <laughs> actually say them out loud, but you feel it. You feel it, and it's just as real as anything for you. At Christmas, we actually celebrate an event, though, that if taken seriously, it has the potential to move us past the complicated, to move us past the awkward and the uncomfortable. What I mean by seriously is we we all know the Christmas story. We all know the Christmas narrative. We know it inside and out. We know the shepherds. We know the angels. We know the annoying kid with the drum. We know it all. And we take it and we kind of smooth out all the rough edges. We shave off all the rough edges. And we, we don't actually ever sit in the weightiness of what actually took place, which we're going to try and do a little bit today. But if taken seriously, it's an event that removes any reason that we may have or think we have to move in the direction of complicated, to not move in the direction of complicated or uncomfortable. 
We'll, we'll come back to all that idea in just a little bit. But as a reminder, this is week three. We're, we're kind of wrapping up our series of reasons for the season. And no doubt by now, and if you've been here, you've heard this too, that we've, been, we've seen the billboards and the signs and the bumper stickers and the t-shirts that all say this, that say that Jesus is the reason for the season. The sentiment, which we've agreed with every single week, is that we celebrate Christmas, that we try and keep Christ in Christmas, that Jesus over the commercialization of Christmas, that all those things are true. That we, we celebrate Christmas because this is when the birth of Jesus actually took place. But if you follow Jesus through the Gospels, maybe if you, if you took me up on the challenge last week to read through the Gospel of John, it may have actually become clear to you that really we are the reason for the season. Because if you guys weren't such a mess, right, no offense. If I wasn't such a mess, then there'd just be no need for Christmas. There would be no Christmas because for God so loved this messed up world, this messy people that he, that he actually showed up in our presence. And in him showing up through the person in the birth of Jesus Christ was for our benefit. And that you benefited and that I benefited from it in so many different ways. But in this series, we've looked at three specific ways that the birth of Jesus has benefited us as a people. Three reasons for the season. We've already looked at two. First week of reasons for the season, we looked at the first reason was to bless the world. And I told you guys, as, as my church, as the church that I'm so proud to be a part of, and you guys do such a good job of carrying on that legacy, that to bless the world through Jesus' presence in the world. And then last week, last week we looked at the reason for the season is to demonstrate what God is like, that Jesus came to demonstrate, to give personality around, to give us personhood and something that we can look to to know what God is like. And this week, this week, the reason for the season that Jesus came to remove our excuses, to remove them. At Christmas, we celebrate the fact of God drawing near. In fact, the, the Apostle Matthew, he, he recounts what the angel actually said, the message he gave to Mary, that, that she's going to have a child. And what Matthew's actually doing is he's quoting the prophet Isaiah all the way from the Old Testament, the, the first half of our Bible. And a prophet was just a, a, a man that was connected with God. God would speak to them, and, and they would then share what God had to say to his people, the Israelites. And you're familiar with some of these worlds. They're going to make sense or you're going to remember them. And here's what the prophet Isaiah actually said that Matthew is quoting. He said this, The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they would call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Yeah, which means God with us. An actual, a better translation of that phrase is actually God is with us. You see, whenever, whenever God kind of renamed somebody or gave somebody a new name or a nickname, it, what it actually was doing was it pointed to the purposes of God that would later be fulfilled through that person in the future. So whenever God gave someone a new name and associated a new name with that person, it was because in the future, that person was going to fulfill the purposes of God that God had laid out for them. And as the story of Jesus unfolds, we see that. We see God's purposes and values demonstrated and illustrated and communicated through Jesus. And if that's the case, and, and I, I believe it's the case, what becomes awkwardly and completely uncomfortably clear is this. If God came to be with us in spite of us, we lose all excuse to remain distant from people simply because it's complicated. Simply because it feels a little awkward or I just feel a little uncomfortable in the situation. To say it more personally, right? What excuses do I have? 
What can I possibly come up with as an excuse to dismiss or to judge or to distance myself from people who really whose dysfunction, whose insecurities, and to use kind of a churchy Bible word, whose sin simply differs from mine. See, the, the Christian author Philip Yancey, who I actually once shared an elevator with, by the way, I'd be surprised to know that. He's got this like big gray white guy afro thing. I didn't know if it was Bob Ross or Philip Yancey, but <laughs> turned out to be Philip Yancey. But this is what he actually wrote. He said this, Christians get very angry towards other Christians who sin differently than they do. <clears throat> Here's something that's true about you. And I can tell even from the Snickers. I think, I think you know that about yourself as well, because I know it about me. It's true for all of us. And I, right now I'm just kind of talking to followers of Jesus here. In fact, if you're not a follower of Jesus, you're going to love this. I think you're going to love this because you already know this to be true about us. You, you might actually be encouraged to know that there's some of us who are at least willing to take a moment to recognize this about ourselves. But, but followers of Jesus, like, you get so amped up. You get so riled up and worked up about other people's sin so much more than you do your own. No amen? Not a single one? No. I mean, think about it. You're, you're, consen- you're constantly thinking like they, 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 them, them, this party, that party, this group of people, that group of people. Have you ever, and please don't answer this out loud. This would be embarrassing for you. But have you ever gotten as passionate or, or as disgusted or, or as worked up about your own sin as you have about the sins of other people, you know, all those sins that, that you would never commit, the, the ones that you're not currently guilty of, and the answer is probably not. And the same is true for me, and I'm a professional. <laughs> I get paid to do this thing, right? So I should at least be as concerned with my sin as I am about yours. Like, it should be equal for me. But it's just so much more fun to get all worked up about your sin than it is about mine. So that's what Philip Yancey says, but, but here's what's stranger still. And again, if you're not a follower of Jesus, I think you're going to like this one too. Because you've probably experienced this. You're, this is probably something that's been so baffling to you about church people, right? What's stranger is that we get so angry. We get so angry at people who don't even follow Jesus. Who don't even follow Jesus and their sin differs from ours. But, but those people who have never even subscribed to our definition of sin to begin with. Yet we're so absolutely sure that, that they're wrong and that they shouldn't and that they shouldn't have. And, and, and look at what you did. And they're looking at you and they're like, hey, wait a minute, dude. Like, I don't even subscribe to the same worldview as you do. I, I don't even see the world the same way. How dare you judge me? How dare you tell me that I'm such a big sinner, that I'm doing everything wrong? I don't even see things the way you see them. But yet we're so tempted to do that. So tempted to hold others to a standard that we can't even live up to ourselves. A standard they never even signed up for. And we use it as an excuse to keep distance from them. To withdraw from them. When Emmanuel, God came to be with us. To remove our excuses from us. Think about this. You don't even need to be a follower of Jesus or a church person to know this. Jesus was really, really famous for this. Jesus' toughest, most harsh criticism was reserved for the self-righteous. Jesus had no patience 
with self-righteous people. He had all kinds of patience with sinners, especially sinners who recognized that they had fallen short, who understood their need for forgiveness and for mercy. But the group of people that Jesus could not stand to be around, the the group of people that got under his skin like nobody else were self-righteous, mostly men who would get all worked up and fired up and, and point out the sins of others while being completely blind to the wickedness in their own heart. And Jesus' harshest words were for the self-righteous because he knew the self-righteous lack self-awareness. And this is where it begins to intersect with our lives a little bit more. See, see the birth of Jesus should make all of us painfully, and we don't like to use this word, but shamefully, and humbly self-aware of who we are. We should be aware of what we have in common with the people that we don't think we're anything like. When in reality, we all need the same things. We all ultimately desire the same things. And, and to be honest, we all fear the same things. The, the self-righteousness within us is a reflection of the lack of self-awareness of what's actually going on around us. It should make us aware that our reasons for refusing to engage simply aren't reasons at all. In fact, the reason that I might decide not to move in the direction is because it's uncomfortable. The reason I decide not to move in a direction towards people who are not like me is because it's a little bit awkward. The reasons, (laughs) they're just really not reasons at all. Because at Christmas, all, all those reasons, they get ripped out from underneath us. They're not reasons. They're just simply excuses. Because the truth is, again, if I can be personal for just a moment, the more aware I am of God's grace and mercy towards me, the more I should be inclined and compelled and driven to extend that same mercy and grace to you. It isn't that what Christmas is all about. As we talked about last time, that that God wanted to be known. That that God didn't want to remain a mystery from us. So he took on personhood and flesh, and he took on personality, and he lived amongst us. God's grace to me through the birth of Jesus removes my excuses not to extend grace and mercy to you, even though your sin is probably different than mine. The more aware I am of the things that God has yet to change in me, my own insecurities, my own dysfunction, my own prejudice, my own arrogance, my own sin, then the less offended by and uncomfortable I should be with what God has yet to change in you. And when it surfaces in me that that I don't want to move in that direction because it's uncomfortable and because it's complicated and because it's awkward, it's in that moment. That, that I need to remember the birth of Jesus who came to be with me in spite of me. You see, Christmas shatters our excuses for avoiding the complicated and uncomfortable. The Apostle John, the author of the, the fourth New Testament gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, he, he was with Jesus from the very, very beginning of his ministry. John saw it all. He, he smelled it all. He felt it all. He was with him at all times. And I always, I always tell you these types of things about, about who wrote the books and the letters we read. And you might get annoyed by it. You might get bored with it. I don't care because I want you to remember. 
I want you to remember that when John sat down to dictate his words to somebody to have them written down, he wasn't writing the Bible. He didn't, he didn't know there was going to be a Bible. He wanted to make sure that his stories, his memories of what took place while he was with Jesus got to you someday. That it got to me someday. You see, John, John stood there with Jesus' mother with Mary and wiped tears from her eyes as she watched her son bleed to death on the cross. You see, it was John who just a few days later had completely lost all hope and all faith. And so if you've ever lost hope and faith, he wants you to know that he understands. And yet just a few days later, all that faith and hope flared back when he had breakfast with his resurrected rabbi on the beach. And see, it was John who survived the Romans' march on Galilee, where it was believed that a million-plus Jews and Christians were slaughtered because they tried to rise up against Rome. And later he found out that Peter and that Paul and actually all of his friends, all of his other apostles, disciples that walked alongside with him with Jesus, they'd all been killed. He was the last one. And in spite of all that, in spite of all that he had seen and all the unimaginable horror that he had experienced and feeling alone, he was the one who took God and boiled him down into one word. He is the one who said that God is love, even though there was nothing lovely about his life in the moment. And now at this point, John, John's an old man. And, he, and he's sitting down. He's like, hey, I got to make sure that all that I saw gets told. And so he's dictating the stories that he's told a hundred plus times. But he's finally getting with somebody who can write them down for him. And John, he's like, hey, I'm not going to begin this whole story the way Matthew did. I mean, he told the birth story. Everybody, told, everybody knows that. Peter, like, he didn't even mention it to Mark. I don't know if he forgot. Luke told the exact same story. I don't know if he wasn't paying attention to what Matthew said. So I'm going to try something different, right? And so John's like, he's, he, he's going to start off this Christmas story. He's going to start off his story in a way that's slightly different. But he knew all the stories. Like, Church history tells us that he was the one who sat with Mary and lived with her until she passed away. Can you imagine all that he had heard? And yet he chooses. He chooses to start his story of the Christmas story in a different way. John begins with what he believes and he considers to be an even greater miracle. And he would explain it this way. Just when it seems like nothing can get worse. At, at the very moment when it seemed like God had forgotten his people. At the very moment that we were left wondering, what, does he even listen to what we say anymore? Is he answering prayers? Is he paying any attention to what's going on with us? In that very moment, God acted. And here's what John summarized the Christmas story like for us. He says this, the word became flesh. And for us, we know from study, when he says the word, he's speaking about Jesus becoming flesh Amongst us, that God became one of us, although he was nothing like us. He had nothing in common with us, with any of us at all. He was far superior to all of us. And then John continues, he said, the word became flesh. And he stuck around just long enough to say hi to everybody and give his gift and check his watch. And then he left. Then he excused himself. I mean, after all, like, he's not anything like us. Like, he doesn't really connect with us. So he's got every reason to not stay with us. Well, no, obviously that's not what John said. John said this, the word became flesh and he made his dwelling among us. The, the, there's a 
translation of scripture that, that actually translates this way, that, that Jesus moved into the neighborhood with us. Jesus stuck around and, and he didn't rush off. And this is really actually super important to know. When, when, when John is saying us, when he's talking about us in this passage, you, you've probably heard me preach before that so often that, that we're included, right? That the, when the writers of scripture are writing things, that, that, uh, that we're included in that. Well, this one, not so much. Like, not that it isn't for us to read, but John is being very clear. Like, no, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among me. And, and my friend Peter and James and Andrew, and he's talking about the women who traveled with them and all the people who were constantly around Jesus. He made his dwelling around them. And he's talking about something that actually took place in history. He's not telling a story about future us. He's talking about his us. This isn't God among us. God is among us, but that's not what he's talking about. John is like this. He's saying, no, I'm talking about the fact that he was literally with us. He lived with us. He traveled with us. He got bruises with us. He got calluses with us. He fished with us. He camped with us. He smelled like smoke just like I did after sitting by a fire all night long. He laughed with us. He wept with us. And I'm telling you, in those three years, if anything was clear to me, he did all of that with us, but he was nothing like us. And we, well, we're just nothing like him. John would tell us there was no space. <laughs> there was no privacy. There was no distance created. God came near in the person of Jesus. John's point is this. He was comfortable among us. People who were nothing liked Jesus, liked Jesus, and he liked them back. And again, I, I want to be more like that. Here's another personal confession for the morning. But we're just going to keep this one between us, if you don't mind. I, I, I prefer that. I'm not comfortable around everybody. <laughs> There's certain groups of people or certain environments where I'm just not, I'm not comfortable. Now, I know what my job is. <laughs> I know what my role is. I'm a grown man. I can put it on. I know how to act. I know what to say. I, I don't even mind it all that much. But there are times when I just, it's just not super comfortable for me. But I'm pretty happy when it's time to leave. And I, I hate that about me. I, I constantly, I ask myself the question. I, I, I know that people think of it as a personality quirk of mine. It's just the way that I am. And, and, and maybe there's some of that, but I hate it about me because I don't want to be like that. I, I constantly ask myself, well, why can't you just relax? What's wrong with you? Why can't you be comfortable? Why can't you engage with people? What, why can't you do what you know you're supposed to do? The story of Christmas, if it's taken seriously, if you take it seriously, should surface those questions in all of us. Well, what makes me think that I'm better than being around these people right now? What, what makes me think there should be distance between me and them? And the story of Christmas, it forces me to address that in me because that's not what Jesus was like. That's not what he was like, and I want to be like him. You see, he invites me, just like he invites you, to, to follow him into the complicated and the uncomfortable and the awkward. Because if perfection, if perfection didn't keep his distance from me, then who am I? Then who are you to refuse to draw near to people who aren't like us? See, John, he gives us a clue as to why Jesus was this way. And he says this, we have seen, and again, remember, his we. 
the people that he was with, his real story, his historical account of what actually took place. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father. And he'd say this, hey, we weren't sure either. <laughs> we weren't sure either in the beginning. Like, it didn't make sense to us. It wasn't kind of working out like we thought. But by the end, but by the end, man, we were convinced that Jesus came from the father. And if the father is anything like the son, that's good news. It's good news because the son, well, he was full of grace and truth. You see, he never dumbed down the truth, never dialed back the grace. John would tell us this, it was amazing. And it, and it took all of my excuses away. And the next thing I know, after the resurrection, I find myself in circles with men I would never have spoken to before. I'm with Gentiles, people who, didn't even, who aren't even Jewish. I, I'm with women, and I've never spent time with women before. And people who were poor and rich and people who had terrible reputations and people that would have never given me the time of day before. And now I find myself humbled to be in their presence. I, I'm, I'm huddled up with them in circles, and we're worshiping together, and we're singing, and we're giving, and we're pledging our lives to each other. It was amazing, and it was all because of him. You see, for some of us, Christmas, it's a reminder there are, there are problems we can't solve. That, there, that there's people that we can't control and expectations that, that we can never meet. But Christmas, if, if you take it seriously, is also a reminder that problems and people and expectations, that they're simply not excuses to withdraw. Even when it's complicated, even when it's awkward, certainly when it's uncomfortable. And so are you, are you facing complicated or uncomfortable this season? This is the perfect time. This is the perfect season to do for someone in spite of that someone. To do for someone what God through Christ has already done for you. And the more uncomfortable, the better. The more awkward, the better. The, the more uncomfortable, the, the, the more Christ-like. The more awkward, the, the more noticeable. See, because remember Jesus said this, you may have heard this before, that let your light shine in such a way, let it shine in such a way that people see your good deeds and they go, what? You did, you did what? You forgave them? I, after last year, you showed up anyway? Let, let your light shine that they might see your good deeds and connect the dots between the fact of the God that you worship and how you behave. Let them connect those dots by what they see in the way that you act and love towards them. Or as John put it, we love because, we love because people are lovable? No. <laughs> we love because we'll get something in return? No. We love because it's a nice thing to do. It's certainly not. Here's the differentiator. If you're not a Christian or you're not a Jesus follower, this is actually where we may have failed you. If you had a terrible church experience growing up or you've had a terrible experience or relationship with somebody who claimed to know Jesus but didn't live it out in front of you, this, this is where we failed you. We love because he first loved us. That's why we do it. It was... His love towards us was amazing. 
His grace towards me was amazing, and it took away all my excuses. This is how God showed his love among us. Christmas. This is how God showed his love among us. Christmas. He, he sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. So dear friends, since God so loved you, you, you also ought to love one another. Some, sometimes we love in spite of one another because God loved us in spite of us. Because after all, if we weren't such a mess, no, no Christmas. So here's a simple, quick application for you. This Christmas, when that other mess, that other messy person shows up at your door, or when you as a messy person show up at their door and you sit down at the table and you fight through and give that fake grin and they, you know, they send it back and you get that fake grin or you give them that present you didn't really want to buy or they give you that present you don't really need. Remember in all of that awkwardness, in all of the uncomfortable, remember you have far more in common with them than you think. You see, because you're both the reason for the season. You're both the reason for Emmanuel. And the, you're the reason that God came near and stuck around. And if you're a follower of Jesus, aren't you so glad that he did? God so loved the world that he showed up as one of us. That he, that he lived among us. And he, and he took away all of our excuses to do anything less for those around us. And when you do it, man, I got to tell you, I, I got to be I got it doesn't mean it's all going to be perfect. It doesn't mean it's all going to be a perfect Hallmark movie ending, right? It, it simply means, it simply means that you have taken the challenge to follow Jesus into the uncomfortable and the awkward, just like he did for you. Let me pray for us. God, I'm so, so grateful uh, that you didn't, you didn't let our differences uh, keep you from drawing near to us, that we have the opportunity to experience you with us. God, I know for me, so often I think about Jesus having been here so long ago, and that, that's awesome. But God, you also told us that, that as Jesus left, when Jesus left, you were sending another, and that the Holy Spirit is with us today, and so you are as much with us today as you have ever been. God, would you open our eyes to that? Would you allow us to live our lives in that truth, knowing that you're constantly in our presence and with us, and that you have chosen to be with us, regardless of our, of our differences and the fact that we don't deserve you to be so. So God, give us the ability and the grace to show that same love towards other people in this season. Lord, we love you. We pray all these things in your name. Amen.